morning. It's good to have you with us. It's um, great to get some nice weather, isn't it? And um, uh, it's great to uh, have communion together. Um, we're trying our best to be as sensible as we can about that, but it's one of the things that is central to who we are and who the church is that we haven't been able to practice the way we'd like to. And uh, so as soon as we can, back to, can get back to it, we, we want to because it's uh, right at the core of who we are and what we what we believe, um, and we'll uh, we'll work at that over the next number of weeks to integrate it more and more. Um, if you're a visitor with us, you're really really welcome. We are looking at a theme that, uh, at this particular moment in our church's kind of story called "Blessed to Be a Blessing," and um, we've been <clears throat> hopefully um, gaining some fresh insight into this incredible theme that runs through the whole of Scripture from the beginning to the end. Really, the first words of the Bible in the first chapter start with a blessing. The last words of Revelation end with, you know, let um, let anybody who adds these words be accursed, right? So the kind of theme of blessing and curse actually runs right through the Bible. And sometimes um, people apply that in very kind of theologically wonky ways is probably the best way I could say it. Um, and so it's important that we do a proper kind of robust um, teaching on this. And hopefully that's what you've been experiencing, I hope. Um, the pattern, just by way of recap, before we get into the passage that I want us to look at this morning, by way of recap, um, but also by way of rehearsing the pattern, I guess what, what, my, what my goal is, ne- next week we're going to specifically probably talk about money and how we are be called to enter into the economy of God's kingdom in that way. But I guess what we really felt is where we wanted to speak about money, because Jesus speaks about it a lot, that sometimes um, we, we kind of speak about money when we just need a bigger offering. <laughs> rather than a lifestyle kind of thing that becomes part of who we are and the discipline of our lives. And it needs to be set within the context of the theme, I believe, of stewardship and blessing that runs throughout the whole scripture. Um, and so the pattern, the pattern so far is that what we see at the very beginning is that God wants to bless humankind, but humankind is continually seduced to want to find a false blessing somewhere else. Okay, So right from the very beginning, God blessed humankind, he blessed his creation, he he blessed humankind even above creation, but he said to both of them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And in God's original design, this is what he did. He, He pronounced a blessing mandate over creation, and he invited us, humankind, to partner with him in how that blessing gets imputed into the earth in which we live. And so we've, we've come up with this definition for blessing based on what the Bible says in the first couple of chapters. It's the bestowing of abundant divine loving power to bring about fruitfulness, multiplication or reproduction, and filling. So wherever God talks about blessing, he's talking about being fruitful, he's talking about multiplying, and he's talking about filling. Okay, and uh, and I, I think that is a that is a good kind of understanding of what the Bible means when it talks about blessing, um, and so we can we can take like there's a learning application already there isn't it when we when we bless people when we bless our children when we pronounce blessing over them we're 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 declaring the very essence of the Garden of Eden right God's original design for fruitfulness for multiplication and for filling with His presence and so if if we are being called into as we've learned partner with God then we 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 come across this theme of stewardship then that everything we are has been given to us from God to enjoy and to channel for his purposes we we aren't the owners of anything really in in God's eyes we are partners with him who have been entrusted with this with with divine work 
and worth, sorry. But, but the problem has been that the serpent has come and seduced us into thinking that there's a blessing to be found in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's another blessing, and humankind gets tempted by that, and it goes and seizes hold of a fake blessing, a, an abundance that um, they want that God didn't want them to have because the blessing that he had for them was more than enough. And so we see all the results of humanity going after a false blessing. We kind of know this. Even though we're kind of sucked into the materialistic world, like we know that it's not giving us what we really want it to. And, and we, it's the world that we swim in. But like, you know, we, we, we know that part of the blessing that we receive materially can be one way that God blesses us, but it's certainly not the only way. And you only have to take a trip of people, which I've done numerous times to Africa, to realize that when they see people who have nothing but are richly and deeply blessed, then we start to realize that the blessing that we know in our lives isn't actually determined predominantly by our material worth or wealth. And so the result of the fall was that the seed of Eden, so this seed, the, the garden seed of Eden, like the, the blessing seed gets replaced by the seed of selfishness or self-obsession or of wanting a blessing that's outside the one that God originally gave us. And so rather than multiplying blessing in the earth, humankind started to multiply sin and they started to multiply selfishness and they started to multiply, you could say, a curse in the world, not blessing. And so this pattern continues. And, uh, and so God has to, to deal with that, and that pattern happens again. So God is so grieved at the way the earth goes that he has to flood the earth. Noah is chosen. What does God say to Noah? I'm going to bless you, fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply. He does that initially, but then he falls into that pattern of sin. So do his sons, and then we get to the Tower of Babel. And then so it's basically third time God's reboot, rebooting the earth in a way through a man called Abraham. And he says, I still want to bless the earth, but I'm going to have to get this guy called Abraham. I'm going to speak my desire that I spoke over, my, over Adam in Genesis 1. I'm going to speak his, my desire to bless the nations through blessing this man and his family. Okay, And that, that gets us to where we've, where we've been um, over the last number of weeks, where we've been talking quite a bit about how this pattern then begins to kind of unfold right through the Old Testament, you could say. But the, 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 the blessing over Abraham is so huge. It's to bless the whole nations. It's God's dream for humanity that God has to take this normal human man like you and me, and he has to get a hold of him, and he has to work with him. Thirteen chapters, I think, we get in Abraham, to the point where he is ready. He gets to a place of radical intimacy and radical surrender. Even through Abraham's life, he's still trying to get the false blessing. He's still trying to seize it for himself. He's still trying to work out the promise himself. So he, he, you know, because he's like, God, I know you want to bless the nations, but I don't even have a son. And so he sleeps with his maidservant under instructions from his wife. And then he tells a few fibs along the way because he's trying to work it out himself. And God has to wring this man out, get him to a place of radical surrender because the, the blessing that God had for his life was beyond what he could ever have imagined. But he just wasn't at the place where he could fully, he didn't have the capacity to hold it. And so what we're trying to encourage you to think about in your individual life is how sometimes we don't see the fullness of the promises of God because we're actually just not ready to contain them yet. Because God wants to bring us to a deeper place of surrender where we love him the same way he loves us, which is to give himself wholly, fully towards us. And God wants to draw us into that. 
And so God has a bit of work to do in Abraham, and we found out he'd even more work to do with Jacob, the grandson. He had to really kind of work him. And, but Jacob wrestles with God eventually after all these years of trying to seize the blessing for himself. And when he does, we find out that his name has changed from, from Jacob <clears throat> to Israel. And Israel, the word means, struggled with God. And <clears throat> I guess that brings us up to where we are when Debbie talked last week about Jesus, because Israel, like Abraham and Jacob, will get it right sometimes, but they get it horribly wrong lots of other times. And while God wants to choose these descendants from Abraham to bless the whole world, there's times they get it, but for the most part, they don't. And they want kings like the other nations, and they want governance like the other nations. And then eventually they want the wives of the other nations. And then eventually they start worshipping the gods of other nations. And it just leads them down a bunny trail of further dysfunction and destruction and brokenness. And all of a sudden, this beautiful people of God that he has chosen and rescued from Egypt, God has to essentially give them up in order that one day he might win them back. And so they go into exile and then... <clears throat> For many years they lived there, and then God gave, brings them back. And the Old Testament kind of ends on a bit of a sort of anticlimax. Because God has still this desire to bless the whole world through these people, but they just literally haven't lived up to it. And so Jesus, as we learned about last week, Jesus comes along. As part of Israel's story, Jesus is an Israelite. Jesus is a Jew. And he comes to show them and to fulfill their story, how to be a blessed person in order to overflow a blessing to the world. And Jesus lives this out in a remarkable way, as, as Debbie kind of led us in. And I just want to stay here for a few more moments before I go a little bit further this morning because there's some things I want to rehearse and re-emphasize that Debbie said last week and, and just add a little couple of other things around <clears throat> Jesus because we're going to look a little bit more at the church then as the story continues to unfold this morning. And uh, I've, tried to, I've tried to summarize this, how Jesus is the perfect example of what it is to live a life of blessing in order to overflow a blessing. So first of all, the thing that Jesus shows us, here's a few bullet points just to help us. He walked around in the fullness of the Father, in the love of the Father, enjoying the blessing of God, right? Jesus would have been good fun to have been around. Jesus would have been um, somebody that was very, he, he wasn't insecure. He wasn't trying to be like anybody else. He wasn't trying to promote himself above others. He wasn't striving to get other people to think he was great. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't driven by performance. He wasn't try driven by proving himself. He didn't need to win. He was just, he was just full in his heart. He, he carried the fullness of the Father, and he lived in the blessing of God. We often, you've heard me say, like, for the first 30 years of his life, you hardly hear anything apart from his birth. The Gospels don't really tell us anything apart from a little episode when he's 12 and when he was first born. And so Jesus obviously just was like enjoying the blessing of the Father, the blessing of the creation. Maybe even he had a conversation every now and again and said, we did a good job there, you know, or you know, that part of creation or that part of creation. He, he, he lived in the blessing of the Father. And he didn't feel guilty about that. He just, he lived in the blessing of the Father. But very quickly, what we need to say is he also overcame the temptations of the enemy to seize a fake blessing, to seize a false abundance. So like Adam and Eve were tempted, and like Israel was tempted in the wilderness, so Jesus, like, hear this, fully human. He was a human being, fully human. Now, he was fully God, but he was fully human. So as a human being, 
Jesus was tempted in all the same ways as we are. And yet, in, the, in, the, in, the, <clears throat> in Jesus' wilderness temptations, he overcame all the temptations of the enemy to seize a false blessing. Turn these stones into bread. No, I don't, I don't, I'm satisfied. I'm a father. I don't, I, don't, I don't need to do that. Throw yourself down off to do something spectacular. Show everybody how great you are. No, I don't need to do that because I'm, I'm, I know I'm loved. If you, if you bow down to me, then I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You can have all the power you want, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, you're not going to put me to the test like that, Satan. And so what, what I want us to see is Jesus came as a human, and he succeeded where Adam failed, and he succeeded where Israel failed. And because Jesus succeeded as a human being and went on to make a way for us, you and me, because his power now lives in us, we can overcome that temptation. We now can overcome the temptation as strong as it is and as hard as it is at times when all sorts of, you see, and, and, and the enemy comes to us with that kind of crafty voice. That's what he's called, a crafty serpent. He comes, if God, did God really say if, if, that he's questioning the word of God. And so Jesus overcame that and so, so can we. And it's really, really important that we see that as we, as we move on. Um, he not only walked around in the blessing of the Father and overcame the temptations for a false blessing, but he totally reframed how we understand what a blessed life looks like. So um, Jesus, as Debbie brought out brilliantly last week in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's like Jesus saying that blessing starts when you recognize your own brokenness. Blessing starts when you realize that you can't get that false blessing on your own. So it's those who are poor of spirit. Now that's not to be confused with the poverty spirit, which we have talked about. But the poverty of spirit that we're talking about here is those who recognize that I've tried every other way to find this blessing. But like Jacob wrestling with God, God, now I've got to the point in my life where all I can do is hold on to you because I won't let you go until you bless me. And, and so Jesus started to reframe how we understand blessing. Blessing is coming to a place where you realize you can't be blessed in and of yourself. I mean, you can try, but it'll just end up in one big pattern of performance-based identity, of poverty of spirit, of, of a victim kind of mind. You'll find yourself in all of those cycles and they'll go round and round and round and you'll never fully live into the blessing until you kind of give up and go, God, I need to fully surrender to you to find my identity wholeheartedly in you and to receive the blessing that only you can give. We don't have to wrestle. Why are we? See, the, the pattern of Abraham, Jacob, and the Israelites is we're striving for a blessing that God has always wanted just to give us if we just give up in the sense of we just surrender our hearts to him. And so um, Jesus came to show us that. It was like Jesus was saying, you see the guys that already think they're blessed, they're probably not going to get this message. Which is why Jesus said, why Jesus was drawn, not, not exclusively, but, but we see so much of Jesus' time drawn to those who are broken and those who are busted and those who are marginalized and those who are poor and those who everybody else has given up to because he's like, they've got more of a chance of getting it because they've come to the end of themselves. I didn't come to, to, to heal those who are well, Jesus said. I came for the sick. 
And so it's only when we realize that in our own, in our own lives. And, and that leads us on to this incredible thing. So, so this curse that had been multiplied through the earth, and Jesus came to show us what real blessing looked like, but ultimately what Jesus came, he came to deal with the results of the curse. Now, we've just remembered Jesus, and Bruno's led us through a brilliant passage in Isaiah 53, but Jesus has come to deal with the curse of sin. And so the curse that was multiplying through humanity was laid upon the body of Jesus as he hung on the cross. Look at this scripture in Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Jesus literally hung in his body on a brutal Roman cross and took the sins of the world, became the substitute for our sin. But in that was dealing with all the effects of the curse, even becoming a curse. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. The sinless, spotless one who never, ever sinned, who all he ever did was bless, in those moments became a curse for us on the cross so that he could open up to us all the blessings of God that are in Christ Jesus. So then it says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, look, who has blessed us, there's that word, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So we get now in Jesus to receive all the blessings that Jesus does as the Son of God. We get all of those blessings because Jesus on the cross became a curse for us. So we can live a blessed life, a, a proper blessed life. Because most of us, uh, we're, you know, a lot of the time, I, I include myself in this, we're, we're, we, we like to think we're good Christian people, but we're seeking the good life. And the good life, the Bible tells us, never really comes until you surrender and realize Jesus has become a curse so that we can have all the blessings that there are in him to enjoy in our lives. I just taking it fresh with that this week. The whole, the whole story of the fall and how we've missed the blessing that we've tried to really emphasize over the first few weeks, how it all gets turned on its head in and through the person of Jesus to open up this life of blessing. And then finally, Jesus came to confirm that this blessing mandate would be fulfilled in and through community, in and through family. So you'll remember at the very start of Genesis, we said that the blessing mandate, one of the things we needed to recognize was it was a together thing. It was male and female together that they would fill the earth. God blessed their union, and he, he said, fill the earth, be fruitful, and multiply. And so we see this together dynamic. It wasn't an individualistic thing. And so that was a foretaste to what we see. And I remember when God said to Abram, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, I will bless you, and I will bless what your family, and through you all the nations would be blessed. Israel was an alternative community. And that's all a picture. It's all part of the same story, which is what I want, to, want you to try and get today. This was all a foretaste towards what Jesus was going to do so that we could have this this morning, the church, the community of Jesus. And so Jesus came, and he built family around him. He didn't just go, oh, I'll pick Peter and James and John, they'll give me a hand, you know, to do what I need to do. He's, he's forming family. He's forming community. He's fulfilling Israel's story to say, this bunch of like fishermen and 
you know, there's the 12 disciples, but then there was the, the women that loved Jesus and who Jesus valued and gave dignity, Mary Magdalene and his mom and others who followed him. And there's this band of followers. And in that, Jesus is creating community and he's creating family. And I want you to get this there. In order that they would steward the blessings of God to fill the whole earth. This is, this is not some Christian kind of little sort of club we're not trying to develop some kind of Christian subculture here that kind of we can just retreat from the world. No, we, we are the people that have been formed in the family of Jesus in order to steward the blessings of God for the whole world. And uh, we've, we've, we've learned from the beginning that this had a, a radical kind of together mandate um, part of the blessing story. So that gets us to the end when Jesus goes back to heaven. He he leaves the church. And this is what the scripture that I really want us to kind of focus on this morning. Uh, we're told when Jesus goes back to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes and the, the church is kind of born and they get on their way, sharing the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom. People are saved. People are baptized. And then we get this incredible description of the church in Acts chapter 4. We often read the one in Acts chapter 2, but this is equally as beautiful. Now listen to this. In light of all we've talked about blessing, try and, try and see this afresh. All the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now just imagine that for a moment. You know, some guy going in your garage, you know, taking your lawnmower out, and you're going like, what are you doing? Like, we're just, you know, well, we're all one now, aren't we? You know, be interesting, wouldn't it? I'm not exactly sure what way it worked, but it, it sounds interesting. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. That gets me every time. What would it be like? What is it like to be part of a community where the testimony of that community is? There was no needy persons among them. We want, to, we want to see the supernatural signs. We want to see healing. We want to see miracles. We want to see all those things. But it's equally as miraculous in a selfish, self-indulgent society to see a community formed of which the description above their door is there was no needy persons among them. Everybody had enough. Everybody was willing to share so that everybody had enough radical generosity. And I want to propose that's what changes the world. That's what changes the world. Radical hospitality. R radical oneness of heart. It goes on to say, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it to the apostles' feet. Now just imagine, somebody just went and sold their house put the money at the apostles' feet, distribute that amongst the people of God in order to steward blessing for all humanity. Like This isn't fairy tale stuff. This actually happened. Is it any wonder that Christianity moves through the earth like wildfire? Because this is the kind of generosity, this is the kind of community, this is the kind of family that changes the world. 
Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought, it, brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. What a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. This is God's design. This is the church. This has been God's desire from the beginning, that the church would carry the loving reign and ruin. And ruin. The, the church would be the place that we would be the people that steward the blessings of God to fill the earth. We see the horizontal, the be blessed, and the to be a blessing, and the vertical, so we see, sorry, we see the vertical and we see the horizontal working here in this picture, don't we? Like they, they preach the resurrection of Jesus and they, they, they formed this incredible community. Everything came under the lordships of Jesus, their economics, their politics. So I don't believe that, this is my personal preference, I'm not putting this in anybody else, but I don't believe first and foremost as Christians, we should be socialists or we should be capitalists or we should be conservatives or we should be labor. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote and all of that. I think we should and it's a great privilege. But I think first and foremost, the people of God are Jesus following radical disciples who live under the rule and reign of Jesus and therefore engage in the politics and the economics of the kingdom of God. And that is radically different to the politics and the economics of the way the world works. And so we are always being drawn into a deeper place of radical surrender. This is time for my favorite ever quote, and I like my quotes. So this is a, this is a, this is a big one, right? But this, 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 I always go back to this from Stanley Horowitz. The most interesting creative political solutions we Christians have to offer our troubled society are not new laws, advice to Congress, or increased funding for social programs. Although we find ourselves supporting such national efforts, the most creative social strategy we have to offer is the church. Here we show the world a manner of life the world can never achieve through social coercion or governmental action. We serve the world by showing it something that it is not, a place where God is forming a family out of strangers. Oh, what a quote. That's it. So if we can learn how to show the world what it's not, but what it always has wanted to be, which is a family of strangers coming together under the lordship of Christ, living in an alternative way, then we start to steward something of the blessings of God. And I want us to really think about this more and more, the dream of God. How do we, how do we show it? How, how does that look? What does it look like more practically? Well, it's first and foremost how we love one another, you know, because by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. But it's also how we steward blessing in, in this theme that we're in. It's how we steward the blessing of God. Uh, and so I, I'm going to just quickly make a few points, sometimes by actually peering back at um, how God did this with the children of Israel and what he was trying to set them up for, we can understand what the church was supposed to be because it's always been God's plan to have this alternative community. And, um, and God wants to distinguish, God has always wanted to distinguish a people from the rest of the world, not because he wants in that distinguishment to make those people think that they're better than the rest of the world, but to help them reflect something to the rest of the world so that eventually the rest of the world can be one. Does that, does that make sense? So sometimes he says, set yourself apart. I want you to come and learn how to be this kind of people so that your corporate witness as the people of God, a family of strangers, one in the lordship of Jesus, will be a reflection to the rest of the world what I've, what, what, what I've always intended for it. And so when, he, when God spoke to the children of Israel way back, here's a few things that he said, a few, a few characteristics so, and how Israel is a, is a kind of precursor to the church. There was leadership, but there was no hierarchy. 
Okay? So God wanted the people of Israel to, to be well led. People like Moses led them, but it wasn't hierarchical. It wasn't, it, there, there was no kings and queens. There was no feudal systems. That was what the people wanted. But God didn't want that. God wanted there to be clear leadership and shepherding of his people. But he, he didn't want there to be a hierarchy. He said, you're all a kingdom of priests, right? Uh, you're all a, a people after my own heart. For the whole earth is mine, Jesus says, and unto me you will be a kingdom of priests. In the church, there's supposed to be leadership. The New Testament's clear enough, but there's no hierarchy. So we don't steward blessing by you giving to the guy at the top of the tree. There's no pyramids. There's no pyramids in the church. And back in Israel's day, when you had Egypt, you had pyramids, and they were like a reflection, weren't they, of their way their society was structured. The children of Israel didn't build any pyramids, right? Because they were a people moved by the Spirit of God, shaped and formed by His presence. That's, that's how we steward blessing. We don't give it to the top. We, we spread it through the, through the body. Secondly, they, they remembered that God alone, God alone provided. It was God's sovereign provision that, um, that they always needed to remember, which is why we, we tithe on things, because we remember that everything that we have came from God. <laughs> so God, God wanted to remind the children of Israel, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. Right, so God would give his people land, but he said, remember, it all belongs to me. One of the things we're going to learn next week is sometimes we think because we've given God our tenth that we've given God what his. But God's more interested in what you're doing with the other 90% because it's all his. You see, if you, if you reframe if you reframe and renew your mind around that, then it starts to change how you enter into the economy of God. Because when you think about it, if I had like 10 pots along this frontier and I said, and God the maker of all things, and I said, dropped something into one bucket and said, God. And then the other nine buckets went, me, 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 me. Is that eight or nine, right? Me, right? It doesn't, it doesn't even sound right. Sure it doesn't. When God, who is the source of all things, gets, now that's not to say you can't use it wisely for you and for your family. Of course, that's what God wants us to do. But when we have a mindset that this is mine, that needs broken if we really want to work and follow Jesus the way he calls us to. And so God's sovereign provision, if we get, if we get a, it, it, it unlocks us to give God gratitude for everything that we have. When we realize that every breath, the very breath that we're breathing right now is coming from him. He holds it all together. And God's sovereign provision allows us to unlock gratitude for the blessings that he's poured out on our lives every day. And therefore, you're not as precious about keeping them because they're not yours. You can overflow with the blessing and give it away to others. But there was permission to enjoy the blessing of God. There is permission to be blessed. We don't have to have the, the poverty spirit of feeling guilty about not enjoying the blessing of God. We can. God was bringing the people into a land of milk and honey. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a poor land. It was a, it was a good land. It was a blessed land. God wanted his people to live into that blessing. And God wants us as his church to enjoy his blessing. I want to see every single one of your families, your homes, I want to see you living in the blessing of God. That's my desire. That's my prayer for you. I, I, don't, I, I want to see people living in God's blessing and, and seeing that reflected in multiple ways in, in, in your children's lives and 
you know, in your in your finances, in your health, in in, in your economic, in all of those areas, we want to live in the blessing of God because people want to enjoy the blessing of God, and we want them to see how to do it. But the, but God wanted at the same time, just a couple more points, and then we'll be done. God wanted us to realize that there would be enough for everyone with that. That if we lived in God's ideal of blessing, then there would be enough for everyone. Look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Jesus, or God said to the children of Israel, however, there should be no poor among you. Right, this is like how old is four over four or 5,000 years ago when the whole society worked in the complete opposite. And God, see, sometimes we left the Old Testament and think it's out of date, it's old-fashioned, it's all of that. This was like radical, countercultural, cutting-edge stuff and still is because God was saying there should be no poor among you. That's my desire, God says. I want there to be no poor. For the in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. So God's going to bless you in order that there might be no poor among you. God's ideal is for everyone to have enough. But God, God's not naive. As much as he longs for the desire of his heart. And so if you read after that, and sometimes you think, what are all those laws and rules about? Well, they're partly because God knew they wouldn't do this. So we needed some kind of regulation system. So we had a thing called the year of Jubilee, where every seven years, all the debts got, uh, got canceled. He, 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 had a, he had a law that when you were out picking your harvest, that you left stuff in the fields so that the poor could come and get their gleanings, the gleanings of the fields so that they could have some. God put laws in place in order to regulate people's propensity to selfishness in order that they could reflect to the world the community of God. And then finally, when you think a lot about this in light of what's going on in the world, there was provision made for the stranger and foreigner all the time. Even right back in the Old Testament, the stranger, this is Leviticus, right in the middle, the stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. Wow. You shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. God. God was showing Israel what he wanted the church to be a foretaste of. He wanted the church to be a place where they learned how to share amongst themselves, steward the blessing of God, not just give to the people at the top of the tree, but somehow get inside a different kind of economy where there's enough for everyone and that those who don't look like us or come from our country or from a different land, that somehow they're welcomed in and love them as you love yourself. Wow. Love them as you love yourself. God was saying this back in Leviticus. And this is what we see then in the book of Acts. We see this beautiful picture that there was no needy persons amongst them. I, um, I know how some of you have done that for one another in this church. And it thrills my heart. It thrills my heart, the way people share amongst them. When you hear these little stories that you never hear at the front of how people give and bless and realize, you know what? I've done pretty well this month and I feel like I want to help somebody who hasn't done pretty well this month. I want to forego that so that somebody else can have that. And, you know, don't hear this as a, it's not, you know, I hope what you're hearing through all of this is we are created to enjoy the blessing of God. 
but we're blessed to be a blessing. And what would it look like if we could create something here as the body of Christ in Portadown? What could it look like if we create a family out of strangers that are stewarding the blessing of God where the, genero- the radical generosity that God has um, shown in our lives, we overflow into the lives of others. And that continues through the church. Paul in his letters, he get, he's getting the churches to support one another. Like some of you who have read the epistles will know that Paul's in Corinth. He's saying, I'm going back to Jerusalem and there's lots of poor there. And so when I get there, I'm looking forward. <laughs> it's a bit presumptuous. I'm looking forward though to the gift that you're going to give me so I can bring it back to Jerusalem and bless the people who are in Jerusalem. And he plays them off one another as well a bit. He goes, by the way, I'm just letting you know, see the church up in Macedonia, they give a good bit, all right? So when I get to Corinth, you know, I want you guys to think about because there's poor in Jerusalem. There's brothers and sisters who don't have enough, don't have enough food, you know. And I want, I want you to share it around. I want this radical, radical generosity, radical hospitality, radical laying down our lives for one another in order to be a blessing. Let me finish with the scripture and then, and then we're done. I had more to say, but I'm going to just leave it here and I'll pick it up next week. Everything, everything in the world. So this is the, this is the apostle Peter. So like Paul, he, he's leaning into this whole narrative too. And he says, he says um, to, to the church that he's writing to, he says, everything, this is the message version. It just comes afresh. Everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. It feels like that at the moment, doesn't it? So, so, so what should you do? So he says, so take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. What's this? Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up practically for anything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless cheerfully. Be generous with the different things God gave you, passing them around so all get in on it. If words let it be God's words, If help, let it be God's hearty help. That way, God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus. And he'll get the credit as the one mighty in everything. On course to the end of time. Oh, yes. Yeah? Why don't we stand our feet? And why don't we just uh, allow the Lord just to speak to us um, and seal this word to our hearts as as we pray. Maybe just take a moment. Let's take one moment in the silence and just allow some of the things that you felt challenged by or provoked by, just allow them to settle in your heart or just rehearse them in your mind for a moment or two. And then we'll just pray that the Holy Spirit would water those seeds that have been sown this morning. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus.